You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. the things lacking within our lives. We're so close to God. We're always praying to God. We're crying out to God. We're more prone to attend Bible studies and church services. And then finally, when God moves and provides, it's like, well, I got everything I need. I don't need to cry out to God anymore. I don't need to hear God's word. I don't need to pray anymore because my life is full. And now I have everything that I have need of. But when there are things that are lacking within our lives, Those things kind of serve to keep us very close to God. It is human nature, isn't it, to only try to get close to God when there's trouble in your life. When things are going smoothly, job is successful, family life is great. It's not too easy to not only take God for granted, but to start to think that your success is due to your strength alone. It's pretty certain that you've never had the kind of test that Pastor Mike will be teaching about today to offer your child up to God. But as you hear the message, you'll understand why Abraham is called the father of the faith. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 22 as he begins his message, Faith Proved and Tested. series in the book of Genesis, and we're going to continue in Genesis chapter 22, and the text that we're going to be treating is found in verses 1 through 12, so Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and this morning's message, the title is Faith Proved and Tested. So with that said, let's go ahead and read that text of scripture, and then we'll ask God's blessing on the remainder of our time together. So Genesis 22, beginning of verse 1. Now it came to pass After these things, and we'll talk about after these things, what the writer is referring to here in just a moment, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. And so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand 
and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Father, we pray now that you bless the remainder of our time together. Lord, as we treat this text of Scripture, God, I pray that you give us understanding. Lord, I pray that we receive revelation. Lord, I pray that we would learn the many lessons that are served up for us here in this text of Scripture. Lord, use them, Lord, to just move us closer to Jesus, to become more like him. Lord, tailor this message to meet specific needs. Lord, encourage those who need to be encouraged. Lord, heal those who need to be healed. Lord, challenge those who need to be challenged. Lord, deal with sin in our lives. Remove that sin from us. God, we thank you. Lord, I pray decisions would be made for Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, just work a work in this place. And now, Lord, we just want to acknowledge and invite the great teacher who is the Holy Spirit to be here. Lord, to use this text of Scripture to just continue and further his work in each and every one of our lives. God, we thank you. God, may we yield ourselves to that work. And Lord, now settle our hearts, help us to thoroughly enjoy the remainder of our time together as we just sit at your feet and learn of you. Lord, bless now. Let my words be your words, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this message, faith proved and tested. First of all, let me begin by saying, I believe that everyone loves a good story. Would you agree with that? And everyone loves to tell a great story as well. And every once in a while, there comes along a story that just simply captures our imagination. The imagination of people throughout all of the ages. For example, how about Homer's Odyssey? How about Dickens' A Christmas Carol? How about The Wizard of Oz? A more contemporary example of this, how about Forrest Gump? And for those of you who are Italian, how about The Godfather? I had to throw that in for Patty, okay? And I believe this historical record of Abraham's near sacrifice of his son Isaac is one of those stories. I mean, think about it. The awe, the wonder, the intrigue, the plot, the twists, the characters. Folks, it's all there. What a privilege it is for us to study this great passage of Scripture written thousands of years ago. But before we go ahead and do that, I want to dispel some of the myths surrounding this story. First of all, let me say, this is not about human sacrifices or some pagan god who demands blood offerings so to be worshipped 
but rather this is the story of the last great drama that's being played out of the man of God, Abraham. It's all about Abraham's life and his faith being put and placed to the test. But it's even more than that. It's also a pageant, if you will, and prophecy of the actual sacrifice by God of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, on Calvary. And in this story, I want you to think about it, Abraham becomes a type of God the Father, and Isaac, Abraham's son, becomes a type of God's son, Jesus Christ. And more than anything else, it reveals the love and not the cruelty of God. And so therefore, Genesis chapter 22 points us to God's love and provision for guilty sinners through Christ's crucifixion, his offering there at Calvary. So that sort of sets the platform for the study. Now that brings us to our first point. If you're taking notes, please write this down. And that is faith in crisis. And I want you to think about it. Put yourself for a moment in Abraham's shoes. And certainly, Abraham is in crisis mode, if you think about it. When you consider the events leading up to chapter 22, here in our story. But before we go ahead and consider those things, let me ask you this question. Has your faith ever been in crisis mode as well? That is, you know, God is working, but it's hard to understand what God is actually doing within your life. It's, in fact, it's even hard to identify whether or not God is even working in your life. And therefore, it lends itself to our faith being in crisis mode. So that is our first point, once again, faith in crisis. Okay, now, let's review briefly the background of this incident in Abraham's life. And to do this, you have to go back to Ur, when we were first introduced to Abraham. That's where Abraham lived, in the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, there in his father's house, when we were first introduced to Abraham, where God first called and commissioned Abraham. And in that calling, God promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation. And the promise was repeated many times during the years of Abraham's pilgrimage. In fact, probably at least 30 years altogether. But now think about it, and this is where the faith in crisis mode comes in. Here's the problem. Rather than Abraham's family increasing, it's actually shrinking. We've already been told that his father, Terah, that we were introduced to also back in one of our studies, had died. Abraham's nephew, Lot, had abandoned him for Sodom. And both he and his wife, Sarah, had now passed the ability to conceive a child that is the heir. Well, in fact, Sarah did conceive. She gave birth to Isaac when Abraham was 100 years old, and Abraham absolutely loved that child. He was so proud of him, and all of his spiritual hopes centered in that child of promise, Isaac. 
Because think about it, that child Isaac was the link to the Messiah, the link to the Savior, the link to Jesus Christ. Remember, he said, in his seed, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed, which was a prophetical announcement concerning the birth of Jesus. Through his line, through his lineage, would come the Savior, the Messiah of the world. But now suddenly this world of his is shattered. Because in verse 2, let's go back to our text, we read once again, then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Now, there's a couple of interesting things here that I want to draw to your attention. Notice he refers to Isaac as Abraham's only son. Now, was that true? What about Ishmael? Remember Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden? Remember they went through that lapse of faith and they wanted to help God out in Abraham actually having a son? So remember Sarah suggested that he, that is Abraham, go into and have intercourse with her handmaiden, Hagar. He did. And she bore him a son whose name was Ishmael, which became the father, by the way, of the Arab nations. But I find it interesting here that when God is commanding Abraham in this occupation, that he only recognizes Isaac as his only son. So what's that all about? What about Ishmael? Well, the truth of the matter is God never acknowledges the works of the flesh. You see that? And there's something to be learned here. I actually don't have this in my notes. But when I was sitting down having a cup of coffee looking over my notes, I thought it would be at least worthwhile to mention. The things that we do for God in the energy of our own flesh, not being directed by God, not being anointed by God, not being led of the Spirit of God, not doing it in the right attitude and the motivation. You know, we think we're doing all of these great things for God, but God passes over those things, doesn't even acknowledge them. Why? Because simply they're the works of the flesh and not the works of the Spirit. So I thought that that was worthwhile mentioning and bringing to your attention. So he doesn't even acknowledge Ishmael, the, only the son of promise, that is Isaac. The son, he says, whom you love. And listen, God knew and was aware of the struggle that was going on in the heart and the mind of Abraham to obey this command. The struggle that was going on within Abraham. Could you imagine? I remember we were talking about this in one of the men's meetings. I think it was Rangus who brought this up. Do you remember that? Nelson, I think you might have been there. And we were talking about God instructing Abraham to take his son and offer him up as a sacrifice. And I think Rangus raised the question, if God instructed or asked me to do that, I don't know if I would actually be able to obey. Could you imagine the conflict that was going on in the heart and the mind of Abraham? And so we went around the table and we came to this conclusion that if God asked us to do what we would initially consider impossible, the grace and strength would be there to follow through and obey 
what God was asking us to do. I think that was the conclusion that we came to. Patty, were you there in that discussion? You weren't there in that time? Anyway, quite a quandary he's finding himself in here. Now, outside of these types that presented to us in acting out this drama, I want to ask you this question. Why did God ask Abraham to do this? We're already told in our text that God was going to test his faith. But I want you to consider something here. It wasn't as if God didn't know what was in Abraham. It wasn't like God was going to be surprised by Abraham going ahead and following through on what he had been commanded to do. Like, oh my goodness, I'm so surprised that Abraham was going to follow through with what I asked him to do. You see, God knew what was in Abraham's heart. He knew that his faith was strong enough to obey. And again, all of this, by the way, in trying to answer this question, is open to speculation and interpretation. So you come to your own conclusions. But maybe the test was given of Abraham to show Abraham exactly how strong his faith was. So that's a possible explanation. Or maybe it was just simply that his faith might continue to grow. Because we know that faith grows in the exercise of our faith. For example, you're faced with a particular situation, and you have a promise, like for example in the Word, and you've never been put in that situation before, but you're just trusting and believing on what God has recorded for us as it relates to that problem in his Word. So we take the step of faith, And now we're waiting to see how things are going to play out. And what do you know? God is faithful. And you've proven God to be faithful by your stepping out in faith. And now you have this track record. And so now the next time you're faced with a similar situation, it's so much easier to exercise your faith the second time. And it goes on and on as you continue to walk with the Lord over a period of time. So the point is is that faith grows in the exercise of our faith. So that's another possible and plausible explanation. Would you agree? But here's the third explanation, and, uh, and most people, most Bible teachers, that is, would agree, was it because that Isaac had become too dear in Abraham's thinking, that is, taking God's place in his heart? And that's a possible explanation. Well, the truth of the matter is we really don't know. But one writer suggested, and at least he leans this way, and he said, and I quote, Isaac represents the many gifts of God's grace received. Before God gives them, our hands are empty. Afterwards, they are full. Sometimes God reaches out his hand to take ours in fellowship, and then we need an empty hand to put into his. But when we have received gifts and are nursing them to ourselves, our hands are full. And when God puts out his hand, we have no empty hand for him. You see, we need to let go of the gift and to take hold of God himself. You know, if you think about it, Abraham could have gone on quite well, even if God hadn't provided that child of promise. 
That child of promise is only temporal. But think about this. God is eternal. So put them alongside of one another. Which one is the most important gift? And of course, the answer would be God. And so something to think about. And isn't it true about human nature? We're in need or the things lacking within our lives. We're so close to God. We're always praying to God. We're crying out to God. We're more prone to attend Bible studies and church services. And then finally, when God moves and provides, it's like, well, I got everything I need. I don't need to cry out to God anymore. I don't need to hear God's word. I don't need to pray anymore because my life is full. And now I have everything that I have need of. But when there are things that are lacking within our lives, those things kind of serve to keep us very close to God. And so anyway, that is that crisis that Abraham was going through at this particular juncture in his life experience. Now that brings us to our second point. And I believe that Abraham was probably asking himself this question, and that is, is God a liar? Have you ever gone into that same place or space, rather, when you begin to ask the question, is God a liar? You know, you read a verse of scripture and you see how things played out in these Bible characters' lives and their circumstances and their life's experience, or in sharing a testimony with a brother or whatever they're telling you of what God has done within their lives, and you're wondering and waiting and trusting that God would do the same in your life, but nothing seems to materialize. What, is God partial to that guy and not concerned about me? Is God's word absolute? Does it apply to all people? Is God a respecter of persons? And we begin to raise those kinds of questions. One of the questions might even be, and of course this is a severe case, but is God a liar? So, Let's go back to that last point just for a moment. We do not know the exact reason for this test, as we've already firmly established, but I do know one thing, and that is that it was conducted on a spiritual level. Yes, it played out on the physical plane, but it was also conducted on a spiritual level that involved Abraham's perception of who God was and whether or not he could continue to trust God as being true and faithful. You see, the problem, the real dilemma, is not simply Abraham loved Isaac. We know that he did. But what God had promised concerning further blessings, that is the Savior, salvation, all of which were to come through Isaac. That's the issue, that's the question that Abraham is wrestling with. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, 
it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.